0: Welcome everyone to CORE Conversations Pathways to Success. My name is Japheth Berry. I'm the CORE Employment Specialist in Hub 1 that covers Cowboy and Lincoln County. And here I have my colleague Samantha Page.
1: Hi there, I'm Samantha Page, an Employment Specialist with um, CORE um, that serves Hub 1 and covers Cowboy and Lincoln Counties. Today
0: we have two guest speakers to kick off for Recovery Month. We have Ryan Elkins and John Smith, and they're just going to tell us more about their organizations and their role in the community. So um, without further ado, we have first Ryan Elkins. Hey Ryan, how are you doing today? I'm
2: doing very well, thank you.
0: Um, So what is your role in um, Recovery Community?
2: In the recovery community, I mean, I'm a person in long-term recovery, of course, myself. I've been been clean for a little over four years, um, and I started the Lincoln County Community Outreach Program as a way to try and give back to my community and bring resources into this county that we never really had before um, to try and offer many different pathways to recovery. Uh, any, anything that's best suited for the individual, we try to meet people where they are. I'm also a peer support specialist at Aspire Family Wellness in, in Huntington. <clears throat> and I'm a social work major at Marshall University. And my hope is to bring, provide better resources here in Lincoln County. Uh, sober living houses, um, mental health service providers, things like that that can better serve individuals in need. Awesome, thank you. And
0: Tom Smith, what's your role?
2: Well,
3: I have. Uh, I've been working in uh, recovery outreach in this county for uh, several years now. I'm also a person in long-term recovery. I'm the Lincoln County Prevention Coalition Coordinator. I work hand in hand with Prestera and the Lincoln County Commission uh, under a Saps grant, and what we do is a lot of drug prevention in the schools and. Uh, we buy um, curriculum. We've been able to supply the board of education with um, 2,000 books for the third through the fifth grade of "Keep a Clear Mind." Um, we also bought the set, Second Step prevention curriculum uh, for anti-bullying and, and child body protection or body harm protection. Uh, one of which was state mandated, and we able to get that into the schools. Uh, We didn't have it previously and we're really proud of that. We do Narcan training um, every Wednesday evenings and I do an outreach. Uh, We've really inundated our county with Narcan. Uh, We're in 10 county region and of those 10 counties, Lincoln County is currently number one in Narcan distribution. So we're really proud about that. We put out uh, deterra packs which are um, water soluble Uh, to dispose of medicines and prescriptions so they're not into our water system. Uh, We sponsor a SAD club at the high school, and they're very active in the community. Uh, We work hand-in-hand with the Lions Club and with the churches. We do a uh, a lot of outreach. We're in the community almost every weekend. I also do some recovery coaching for the Southwest Regional Day Report and recovery outreach through them. And uh, so I, I have a pretty good handle on where, and, uh, where we need to be and, and what we need to be doing. I'm just happy to serve and, and blessed to be here. Grateful to have you, have the opportunity to talk to you guys.
0: Thank you. And I do want to say I do appreciate you guys taking the time out of your day to interview this podcast with us. So thank you.
1: So it seems like you all both wear many, many hats. Um, and I could imagine that that could get uh, time-consuming, possibly stressful at times. So what do you all do to help manage that time uh, so you're not going insane? Um, one of you all, we may have a little question about your sanity, not, <laughs> not, gonna, not gonna say who, not but- <laughs> you,
3: Honey, you can't drive me crazy. You'd have to turn the car around. That's in the rear view mirror.
1: So what are some things that you all do or some possibly, you know, some advice that you all could give whenever it does come to time management and self-care? I nap. Always
3: good. Uh, Flint nap. I make arrowheads. Flint nap. <laughs> <laughs> wait,
1: wait for it. Wait for that joke. No, I'm, <laughs>
3: no, seriously. Yeah. I've been getting into that. Oh, okay, that's yep.
1: pretty
3: cool. I okay. mean, I also like the NAP, but I like the KNAP. <laughs> hey, that
1: works.
2: Yeah. Don't know... What, naps don't exist in my life I wish they did I'm envious of people that can nap I'm envious of people that can sleep at night because I have insomnia so I, I, I you know when I'm up at 1:30 in the morning I'm back on my computer working on outreach or grants or or so managing time management, I get so much done because I never sleep. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so it's the opposite yeah. of how so, um, Yeah, it's <laughs> the opposite for <right> <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, Now, how that works out for my sanity and self care, on the other hand, is you know is debatable. But there's no disputing I get a lot accomplished. So you know I do have, you know pros and cons on it. Um, I have been doing better with the self-care like yesterday um I took off work yesterday and I stayed at home I needed a day of self-care and it's been a really long week and like I've been trying to practice that more and more to work on getting some time just for me so I'm not like overwhelmed and I'm not so stressed out my because I have I also have panic disorders so my anxiety gets really really high and I get really frantic sometimes uh, I mean, it's to the point where I think I'm having a heart attack, wanting to go to the hospital, mm-hmm. and I have gone to the hospital over oh, really. it. Mm-hmm. Um, so since, but since I started working on taking some personal days from work, mm-hmm. um, it's not been nearly as bad. Mm-hmm. So that's what I've been doing for my self care.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I still don't get a nap, but <laughs> it would be nice. Oh yeah. But I relax <laughs> and I watch, you know, Netflix or play my Xbox. Hey,
0: that works. That's great. <laughs> So, with it being um, Recovery Month in September, what are some events that you guys participated in or created?
2: Well, this this past weekend, Saturday, September 11th, we hosted um, the Reaching for Recovery event. Uh, and it was co-hosted by the Lincoln Prevention Coalition and sponsored by the, the Lincoln County uh, Primary Care Center or Lincoln Primary Care Center, sorry. And, uh, it was a huge success. I was really excited about how many people came out. Um, about We had some amazingly powerful speakers. I was truly amazed. Uh, we had some really wonderful music played by the band. We was set to go to the Rally for Recovery with Recovery Point, but they canceled that. That was on the Friday before. Uh, and I've got invitations to, other, to set up at other events. We've got a parade um, coming. In when's that? I was asked to set up a booth there.
3: Oh, the town hall or the town uh, street fair? Yeah,
2: street they fair. Canceled. They canceled it. See, some she Kelly just asked me <clears> about <throat> yeah, it out they there. They canceled
3: it's. To, they rescheduled it for next March okay. or May. Next May. Okay.
2: Mm-hmm. And me and Johnny, we actually we were set to speak at the GED class uh, on Monday, but I guess that got rescheduled too. We said We did set up an outreach booth at the uh, back to school bash over in West Hamlin, uh, and we were invited to to, to some other things, too. And, I, and I'm, like, already planning for our next Reaching for Recovery event. Uh, I've already got people on standby. I've got a band on standby. Awesome. So I'm, like, really excited, which that probably won't be till next year. But yep. that's just some of the things that, you know, that we've done so far this year.
3: You have a band already? See, I wanted to get have 50 Cent come and have Nickelback open up for them.
0: Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. Yeah, um, we could charge
3: 45 cents.
0: Okay.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that was a really good event, though, the Reaching for Recovery. Uh, you all had a lot of people attend, and a lot of good resources were available, so was I was uh, really great.
3: I was touched by the, the amount of community response in terms of service work.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, we had a really good volunteer team that came out, and they worked really hard, and mm-hmm. that touched my heart. I was yeah. real grateful yeah. to see that. Mm-hmm. So it makes me think that we're really making some major strides towards uh, breaking stigma. Yeah. Um, because that's the third event that I've been involved with since I've started doing this. Of course, last year uh, was kind of put, you know, everything was been up in the air with the pandemic, and but that was by far the best event and and the, definitely the, the most community um, volunteers that I've seen. And so I'm just real grateful for that. Yeah, that was great. So that's what it takes. It takes a community <coughs> to yeah. overcome this. And, um, you know, the opposite of addiction isn't sobriety. The opposite of addiction is connection. And uh, I think that's what we're starting to make here in our, our county is connection.
1: And it really seems like it's happening here and i remember the first time getting connected with the lincoln county community outreach program i noticed the things that you all were doing on facebook and then just seeing the outreach that you all had in the community and um, you know creating that engagement and connections and then that's whenever we reached out to ryan and started attending the meetings but it's been amazing what you know What you all done with the, you know, the growth in the community and everything these past couple of years.
0: And speaking of stories with the Reaching for Recovery event, I just want to have the chance to hear your stories as well. So, Ryan?
2: Personal story? Yeah, your personal story, if you want. Yeah, I don't care Um, how much time we got. (laughs) It's like a long story. Um, I'll make it as brief as possible. So... Uh, I was born in Millersburg, Ohio, and when I was 11 months old, my dad killed my mom in a drunk driving accident and moved us down here to West Virginia. Um, very abbreviated version of childhood. I grew up in a very abusive home. Um, my whole family is using attics. Um You know, I never felt like I fit in or I belonged anywhere. I would go to school. I would get in trouble. You know, I, I would see, see these other kids with... with with two parents and, and, and they were happy and, and they would, you know, I would get invited over for dinner or something and I would see them, you know, their parents being so polite and so and, all, and everything that I never had. And it was like, I was jealous and envious of, of these other kids. And I just didn't feel like I belonged, like I was an alien dropped off on the wrong planet, you know? Um, well, over the years, <clears throat> uh, the abuse at home got so bad that I, you know, I would hear my dad coming home from, from work or something, and I would hide under my bed. Um, I would spend weeks at a time in a tent up on the hill, up on Parsoner Creek, just so I wouldn't have to go home. And then when my uh, girlfriend got pregnant, that kind of gave me an out that I was looking for. Um, so I dropped out of school when I was 16 years old in 10th grade, which you know, I'd done been held back twice. I'd been in juvenile uh, uh, probation, juvenile probation. I'd been in all kinds of trouble. Uh, because I was acting out and trying to get attention and I only got negative attention at home and so I kind of strived for that everywhere I went. Anyway my, my girlfriend got pregnant. I think she was 14 and No, I'm sorry 15. She was 15 and uh, You know, I, I dropped out of school. We got married um, we had two more kids over the years, and, and the addiction just continued to progress uh, to the point to where I couldn't maintain a job. Uh, I couldn't keep the bills paid. We started trading and pawning the stuff off that we bought for the kids. Bills was, you know, they turned the electric off. We'd lost it, uh, we I bought, had bought a brand new trailer, and I got, you know, tired of the bill collectors calling and so I just told him because that you know I I wasn't gonna pay it because it was taking too much of my drug money, uh, so I just told him to come get the darn thing, and and they were more than happy to oblige. They come got the home, knowing that me and my wife at this time and three kids were gonna be homeless. Uh, we moved in with her parents, who we then began to suck dry, and we would pawn on her dad's guns, we would steal his checkbook and write bad checks, we'd take his debit card. I mean, we really caused a lot of damage and harm to fuel our addiction. And, uh, you know, fast forward and we, you know, I spent 17 years in active addiction with opiates and other um, medication type uh, drugs. And then in year 18, uh, we was introduced to methamphetamines. And after about two weeks watching other guys manufacture, I'm a quick learner, I'm a quick study. It didn't take me long, I, I didn't need them anymore. I went home and I was doing it myself and I was doing it in the house with my kids in it. And I was right in the middle of town here in Hamlin at the trailer park across the ditch from the EMS services there. Um, so by the end of the year 18, in act of addiction, my house was surrounded by law enforcement and they raided the house and uh you know i was faced they uh, they charged me with five felonies and 48 misdemeanors and i was facing 50 years in prison um and ultimately i pled down to one felony charge which was operating and attempting to operate uh, a meth lab and got three years probation with a possible two to ten if i violate well in and out of uh in and out of regional that you know, I would violate and they would they would send me for shocker after shocker after shocker. I got kicked out of drug court. They said I needed a psyche valve. They wouldn't accept me in there, um, which honestly today, I'm kind of glad they didn't. Um, I don't know if I'd have made it through drug court, uh, but ultimately I got sent to Huntington. And before I got sent to Huntington, I didn't know what recovery was. I didn't know what these 12 step programs was I'd never heard of them because they didn't exist here in Lincoln County and I went down there and I found something that I wasn't looking for I wasn't expecting uh, I found hope and it was the first time in my life that I had ever found hope I, I'd never experienced that before uh, I've, and I was in 28 day pinecrest 28 day and they would come in do an H&I from a fellowship and there was people on this panel with like like 10 plus years clean and and honestly I'm sitting here listening to these guys share thinking these guys are full of crap you know is this one guy is all happy and spiritual and I'm like there ain't nobody that happy and not high mm-hmm. it just didn't make sense to me you know so I thought they was lying I thought they was being fake and I got out of that 28 day, and I went into long term. I went to Laurelwood, and uh, and while I was there, I went to you know I went to meetings and I got a sponsor and I started working steps and I started to realize that these people were not fake. These people were real. They were onto something. And and while I was there, um, they told me things like find people that have what you want and stick with them. And if you want what they have, you need to do what they did to get it. So I would find these people, right and you know, I'm very literal. I'm I'm an extremist. I take everything to, to all out or nothing. Um, so they probably wasn't expecting me to jump in their pocket and chase them around everywhere mm-hmm. they went. But that's kind of what I did. Um, I followed uh, I followed Didi, man. I followed her everywhere. <laughs> right? She she encouraged me to go back to school, and she had just gone back to school. And, and I was, felt like I was older and I didn't feel like I was smart enough because I dropped out of school and I never did, did good in school. And she encouraged me and she motivated me. So I went back to school and I graduated 18 months later with a college degree. And she, was just, she had just completed her master's at Marshall University. And I was like, that's what I want, right? So I followed her to Marshall. Right, And then she ultimately became one of my college professors in my substance abuse class while I was at Marshall, which was awesome. She actually, just two days ago, she, she's having teaching that class, and she asked me to come in and speak to that class um, about my personal story and recovery, um, which she had other people do it when I was in her class. So, so I tried to do that, right? And they said, chase your recovery like you chase your dope. You know, a year into my recovery, I had people telling me, you need to slow down. You're doing too much. And I'm like, well, how exactly did you chase your dope? You know, I chased my dope hardcore and I come in here and I do this the same way. So, you know, and I started the nonprofit the same time that I started school as a way to bring that message of hope that I found in Huntington back to Lincoln County in hopes that people here could use it the way that I used it. Um, And that's kind of been my life's goal and my pursuit. I found a purpose and a passion um, giving back to the community and helping people. Uh, so that's kind of the bridge version. Um, like, like I sponsor people through the 12 steps. I try to, you know, we can only keep what we have by giving it away. So I try to give it away anytime I can. Service saves lives. Anytime we, not only I'm in service, but like, like we was talking about earlier about the volunteers and stuff from the community, when they're coming out and getting involved in service work, at our events or whatever, every moment they're there doing that, they're not out there using dope. And that's what we try to encourage people to do, to get involved and be of service. Uh, and that's why I continue to do it. Because when I'm being of service to someone else, I'm not using, I'm not even thinking about using. And uh, and it keeps me motivated and it keeps me encouraged and it helps me in my personal spiritual path of recovery. Thank you for
1: seeing you
2: okay. welcome.
0: I just want to say thank you, um, Ryan, for sharing that. It's really awesome, I'm seeing amazing things you're doing now as well. Um, and John, um, what's your story?
3: Well, I had the opposite story of Ryan. I had a really good childhood, <clears throat> and it's just, it goes to illustrate that substance misuse disorder and alcoholism uh, is not a respecter of persons, this can happen to anyone, and You know, I was brought up in a Christian home, um, never wanted for anything. Um, We lived on a farm, so I was brought up, old school. Um, I got my rear end busted more times than I can. But looking back on it, I probably needed it more than I got. Probably got away with more than I should have. I recognized in myself the, the alcoholic tendencies before I ever found alcohol or drugs. I was, uh, I recognize now that I had a, an addictive personality to begin with, and what we suffer from is a, is a spiritual malady, or a spiritual sickness, and I, I can see in my life all the times that I turned my back on God and, and tried to do it my way, um, that's when the grief came. So um, when I was in college, I played some college football, and I got in a motorcycle wreck, and. Hurt myself in about 92 or 3 and was put on some pretty high-powered pain medicine. And um, I was already a binge drinker at the time. So you put those two together and, man, I was it was on. It was like, you know, it on like Donkey Kong. And um, it wasn't long. I was doing uh, my student teaching. I had started my first practicum. I gained, uh, I stopped playing football, um, and I started running weed for my cousin out of Denver, Colorado, and I did that for about eight months while I was doing some student teaching, and, well, I quit, quit doing that when I got out of college, and, uh, I got a job for the Lincoln County Board of Education as an English teacher, and, and I was coaching football, but I was still, uh, misusing, Uh, prescription opiates and and, uh, illicit substances. Well my cousin got in trouble and it was a it was a a statewide ring so it was federal and under the old laws I was facing 5 to 20 minimum mandatory and had a 90, like a 1.8 chance of winning it if I took it to the jury of my peers and the bottom line was I was guilty. I did it. So I pled and I did uh, federal prison time I had just gotten married when uh, the indictment came down. So it was like a thunderbolt. It was everything. I lost a career, and my marriage was just shaken to the core. I hadn't been in prison three months, and my brand-new bride was sexually assaulted. um, And it was the most helpless feeling I've ever had in my life. It um, It was very traumatic. And there was a guy in there, and I didn't know him, but he lived in a pod next to me, and he worked in the kitchen, and he was a, a young street guy from Baltimore, and, and he, you know, I'd seen him in the weight room, and, and something like that happens in prison, everybody knows about it fast. And he came up to me one day on the yard, put his arm around me, and he just walked me down, talked me down, and kind of told me how to do time. He'd already been to several facilities, and I don't know, I was probably 26, he may have been 22, but he was streetwise, and... Uh, I didn't, it was always a weird experience. I never understood it, uh, why why that guy did that. Well, like we said, we'll put, fast forward, um, I did lots of jobs, built houses, farmed, uh, timbered, just all kinds of jobs for a long time. My marriage fell apart after I got out of prison. Um, So for the next 17 years, I was, you know, I didn't get any more trouble, but I I was still using, actively, and it's a progressive disease, so my use got worse, and it got worse, and it got worse, and finally, I I was cutting timber on the ridge one time, one day, and I was, I'd been cutting timber and using in the hopes that a tree would get me, because I just, I thought I wanted to die, and I cut a big white oak out on the ridge, and it jumped the stump, and I jumped when it happened. And when, it, when I jumped, I realized I didn't really want to die. I just didn't want to live anymore the way I was living. And um, it wasn't about a month after that that some folks that were helping my mom and dad helped me, uh, got me into uh, a bed at, at recovery point. And I'd never been to treatment. And I went down there on a Friday night, and I stayed in detox two nights and two days. Sunday morning, uh, I got up and said, I'm leaving. Well, they pointed at the door and said, there's the door. Apparently, I was pretty much a bear because they didn't even try to keep me. Mm-hmm. And I walked from downtown Huntington to almost uh, the Bob Evans out towards Route three, Route 10. And I guess recovery folks had called uh, the woman that helped me get in, and they called my mom and dad. Well, she called another place that was in Huntington, a treatment field facility, and they wrangled me up at the parking lot at um, Bob Evans. And here comes this truck flying in and this guy gets out and he looks at me with a grin and it's the same young streetwise kid from baltimore 20 years earlier a guy named rocky who runs a house down in huntington so uh it was one of those god moments for me that i'd run i had been running long enough and it was time to to do what he wanted me to do and you know i've been doing everything That he wants me to do as best as I can. Since then, and as long as I keep giving my will to him, he keeps showing up, and and the blessings just I'm blessed more than I deserve, and and I'm just so grateful to be where I'm at today. And uh, it's really a comfort to find what you're supposed to do. You know, there's a saying I don't I can't remember who said it's uh most two two important most important days in your life are the day you were born and the day you find out what you're supposed to be or who you're supposed to be and i like that so anyway i'm you know now i just tell my story and and i relate to people and i point the way as best i can there you go yeah thank
1: you for sharing
0: your story it's my first time hearing your story so it's definitely awesome Mm -hmm. I appreciate
3: it. Well, here's a little, one more little one. Here's a funny thing. This is how God works. So when I was in treatment, I got out of, I was probably in five or six months and I got a job uh, working for an electrician. And we picked up another guy that worked for us that was in another house right down the road. Well, I'd worked with this kid for about three days and he got his first visit with his family And it didn't go well, and he went and he got some drugs, and he used them in his house, and he overdosed and died. We went to pick him up on a Monday morning and to work, and the coroner was pulling him out of the house. Now, on the flip side of that, that was a tragedy. But on the flip side of that, there was another guy in Huntington who couldn't find a home, and he had decided that night that he was going back to Lincoln County, and he was going to get high. And he got a call that morning from that house that a bed had opened up, and that fellow's sitting right across from me. Ryan,
2: that's the guy that. I that's the guy. Yep.
3: Oh, wow. That's how God works, Ryan.
2: That gave me culture. It should. Telling my story. It should, because
3: I'm part of your story. I was a part of your story before we started this.
2: Didn't even know that. Yeah. I knew that. And before. I knew the, how the story went. The guy overdosed and was the only reason I got the bed. Well, now you know the Paul Harvey. Life, but I, I just
3: it. gave you the Paul Harvey. There yeah. you know the rest of the story. you know
2: the story. That's amazing. <laughs> I guess you I do. do. Wow. Literally, I got Chill. cold chills wow. everywhere. Yeah. Um, I thought that sounded familiar as you was talking <laughs> about. i like, I've heard this before, but what? Is he, does he the same right. guy? <laughs>
1: So you talked a little bit about gaining employment, you know, once you're in recovery. So can you all tell me a little bit about how that experience was for you all once entering recovery and going out there and gaining employment?
3: I had to ask for help. Uh, one of the biggest things about recovery for me is, is finding humility. I don't have, I'm not humble by nature and that's something that's gotta come from God. And and he puts me in positions where I have to humble myself because the reality is we all need to do that. If we don't humble ourselves, somebody will humble us, whether it be life, whether it be the court systems. So I just had to ask for help. I had to swallow my pride. I've I've never seen anybody choke to death swallowing their pride. And um, I had to ask for help. You know, Um, I had to request a variance from the state in order to work in. uh, in a behavioral health setting um, and to be, you know, a part of I'm on the treatment team for the adult drug courts and so, I, you know, I had to go out into the community and, and I had three dozen letters of support and, and whew, I read those today and it's just, Aww. it's it's awesome. Yeah. Like, yeah. But it was a lot of work. I mean, that's, they don't take that lightly and um, I suggest if you have to do that, do it to the very best of your ability. Mm-hmm. Get as many letters of support as you can. Get a documentation of everything you've ever done, all your trainings, um, your jobs. Your, you write a letter that details your life and gives your story from day one to the end. And you better fight some altruism uh, because they will sniff you out if you're not real. You've got to be real.
1: With, you know, a lot of employers that we talk to, a lot of them do say that, uh, you know, they understand that people, you know, may have some things in their past, but they really look at, like, what you said, you know, what have you done since then, what, you know, goals have you accomplished, you know, what are you working on right now that they do take into great consideration that piece, so, I mean, those letters of support and, you know, making those connections and, you know, relaying to them what you've done
2: since then Absolutely. definitely plays a huge part. Absolutely. What's interesting about my job when I came into recovery is like, <clears throat> like 15 years ago, um, I got crushed by a tree working out on a pipeline with, uh, with Lloyd, uh, Lloyd Jackson's uh, up here. And um, I got put on full disability after that. So when I came into recovery, I still wasn't working. So I was drawing full disability, so I was going to 14 meetings a week. I was going to two and three meetings a day um, and being of service. And I took on every service position I could possibly find. I was on the H&I subcommittees, on the public relations subcommittee. I was a general service representative for my home group. So I did everything that I could possibly do to plug into a fellowship. Uh, but I would also like like the, the house manager at the house that John was also speaking about, um, took me around to uh, meet Miss Terry Collins over at First Steps Wellness and Recovery Center. And because Scott wanted me to be involved with service outside of just the fellowship I was part of. And so that was the first service position that I ever had. And it became like my full-time job. So I literally would go over there every single day, five days a week, and I would sit and I would talk to newer people in recovery or people still in active addiction too. And it was very humbling experience for me to get a set like and i'm i mean over there they would they're i mean if you go around if you know the place it is a place to get people in off the streets so they have a place to go where they're not out in the streets running a buck right and, and especially in the winter time they can get out of the cold they can come in they can get internet access whatever they can get services provided to them you know get a cup of coffee or whatever and And i was sitting there five days a week and i I would go there to sit and work on my step work just so i would be present if somebody needed to talk and it became my volunteer position to the point that i wanted to be a peer support specialist and i didn't want to do anything else Um, but i couldn't really but i didn't have the qualifications you know i was still going to school i was going to, to huntington junior college for my associate's degree in substance abuse counseling and so I kept volunteering at different organizations, so I started volunteering at, at other places. I volunteered at uh, Recovery Point, West Virginia. I reco- uh, my wife at the time was a recovery, or she was actually in uh, her place at Recovery Point, and then when she graduated, she became a recovery coach there, and I would volunteer there. I was uh, I did my college externship at the Day Report Center here in Hamlin for drug court. Uh, you know, I got to sit in on the drug court teams and things like that. and But everything that I did, I never had a job. For the first two, two and a half years of my recovery, I never had a job. I did everything that I did was 100% volunteer work. I, it's not that I wasn't like looking for a job necessarily, but I didn't need one. Because it, something so fascinating to me that I've learned since I've been in recovery is that when I follow God's will, God provides for me in ways that I cannot even rationally explain to you.
1: Oh, yeah.
2: I mean, that's just, that's the truth. And, you know, you'd have a hard, you'd be hard pressed to convince me that God don't exist today. Mm-hmm. You'd have an argument on your hands, I'm telling you. We'd be here talking about it for a while because the evidence is way to the contrary to that. Um, I'm talking, I would be behind on a bill and somebody would just offer me the amount of money that I need for the bill without me even asking. Like, how did you know I needed that? You know, my sister literally done that to me twice. Um, and so I didn't really need a job and my wife at the time was working full time. So we, we did very well. And then I come in and, and then I finally get my qualifications and I get my degree and I start being a paid recovery coach. And like the job that I have now, I only, I only get paid two hours a day and I sit down there sometimes 12 hours a day. You know, I have, I have one client that I get paid for and, but I work with every client in the house. I don't have to sit down there. Okay. I, I do it because I enjoy helping people, mm-hmm. and I gain valuable experience from it, too, that I work, try to apply here in Lincoln County, um, because that job's in Huntington, mm-hmm. and I, I still try to help in Huntington, but everything I do down there, I want to bring back here. That is my purpose in mm-hmm. life. That is the purpose God gave me, is to learn from other places to provide to my hometown. Mm-hmm. That's my purpose.
3: vet. Do you know how many recovery coaches it takes to change a light bulb?
0: Do not, John. How many? <laughs> it, only take,
3: it only takes one, but the light bulb has to want to change.
0: Oh, wow. <laughs> thank you for that. <laughs> so that's a wrap-up right there with, you know, one of John's many famous jokes I <laughs> love hearing. So I just want to say to Ryan and John, thank you for being on our podcast today. I yeah, think You really enjoyed it, Hear your stories, and I guess... That's it, everybody. I hope you have a nice day.
3: Thank you. Stay cool. Thank you. God bless. (laughs)
0: Thank you.